a slave, Onesimus. Everybody say Archippus and Onesimus. Now, this slave, or, 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 or excuse me, uh, Philemon is the brother, it's two, and Archippus is the friend, and Onesimus is the slave. There's the clarification. So Philemon has this slave named Onesimus, but yet he has left his duties of serving Philemon, and he left with some money that he stole, and he went to another part of the country to live in. Now here comes Paul, and some people say during Paul's jail ministry, while Paul was serving time, he met Onesimus. Whether he met Onesimus in jail for catching a charge from something else, or whether or not he met him in a church, we don't know for sure. But he meets this man, Onesimus, and he preaches the gospel to him. When he preaches the gospel, he gets saved. And Onesimus says, hey, Paul, I want to be honest with you. I've actually had another person in my life tell me this message, but I haven't been living it. Paul says, who's that person? He says, Philemon. He goes, oh, Philemon. I know Philemon. The man that hangs out with Archippus. He's like, yeah, we know each other. We're friends. And then Onesimus tells him, he says, I left Philemon the wrong way. I left Philemon causing trouble. And you know what Paul does? Paul writes this letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus to make it right between the two of them. Some may say restoration. I think you got the introduction. Let's read it now. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to uh, P.I., our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I think that's pretty awesome. So here while he's writing a letter about restoring a relationship, he says, baby, you better keep preaching the gospel. Well, that's all I get. I get one person. What happened to y'all? Y'all just losing on that song? Did you shout your last shout? I want to know, did you just hear what the Bible said? He said that you would be active in sharing your faith. When was the last time you shared your faith? Come on, I want to be real with you. When was the last time you preached the gospel? When was the last time you were actively doing it? I look at people in the gym, and they're like bodybuilders. You know, they're like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're like big, you know. They're pumped. I'll pump you up, you know. They're big. And I look at them and I say, I'm bigger than you spiritually. You know why? Because I'm active in using my faith to preach the gospel. Are you a puny Christian? Are you a sissy Christian? Are you a bodybuilding soldier, mighty conqueror for Jesus Christ, disciple Christian? You see, you see that every time you read the Bible, they don't ever let it slide. It's never just business as usual. Just in the middle of this letter about something totally unrelated, he brings up and he says, man, you better keep preaching the Word. Amen. Let your professors know at SUM we're active sharing our faith. Amen. Everywhere we go, and especially on the streets. Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. I hope that there are people in this church that you can say they make me happy because of what they do for others. And I hope that I can say that of every one of you here today, wow, you bless me, you encourage me, you bring great love to me because I see what you do for others. 
Now here's the point. Verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. See, he could order them. He could say, do this. Amen. He could get like that. By the way, he did in Corinthians at times. But he says, I can be bold and order you. Yet in verse 9, I appeal to you on the basis of what? Everybody say love. So he says, I could order you to do it, but I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who has been my son while I was in change. Formerly he was useless to you. Oh, Lord. Have you ever met anybody in your life that was useless to you? Well, it's okay to keep it real in church, people. I know you don't like everybody. Amen. You ever met anybody like that? Because, by the way, when we get done talking about Onesimus, we're going to talk about you, okay? This one just lets you know where we're going in the message. Amen. Somebody say restoration. So he said, I know that formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. So Onesimus got the heart of Paul here. He, he loved him. I would have liked to kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. So he didn't want to just take this man away from uh, Philemon. He wanted uh, Philemon to make a choice. Verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Somebody say amen. Verse 17, for, uh, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> Don't you love how Paul got down like that? He's like, I'll pay you back if you want me to because you owe me everything. Did you think about that? You're going to hell if I went to preach to you finally. You don't, you, you, know, you don't get that? Don't you love how Paul just could keep it real like that? Amen. Just look at your neighbor and say, pastors know a thing or two. I love that. He says, I, you know, I could ask to pay it back, but really you owe me everything. So anyways, you'd be in hell without me. Okay. Just look at your neighbor and say, we would be in hell without our pastors. I mean, come on. If the Bible, you know, you'd say, well, I'd be in hell without Jesus only. Well, hold on. I didn't remember Jesus coming and preaching to you. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Never worship anybody but Him. But who did Jesus use, my friends? The Bible says no one can hear unless a preacher is sent. So you better get a right understanding of who these people are holding the microphone. Amen? Mm-hmm. All right. It's tight, but it's right. Amen. Mm-hmm. Verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So do this for me. 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will even do more than I ask. Amen? He just I know you're going to do this and even more. You're going to send back a little cake my way. I know you're going to take me out to dinner. That's all right. Verse 22, And one thing more, perhaps a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. So, Ricky, get that guest room ready for me. Amen? Come on. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greeting, and so do Mark. Articus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Everybody look up at me and say, Restoration. Restoration. Do you all get the story now? 
This is a wonderful story. Onesimus left Philemon the wrong way. Paul met him, and then he saw him get saved, and he called back up Philemon, and he said, Philemon, take him back and do that favor for me because he's not useless anymore. He's become very useful, and he has my heart. And if he owes you anything, have me pay it. And by the way, you owe me your very soul. Everybody get the story here? Now I want to make it personal. Somebody say, make it plain. Who in your life have you left behind that you need to be restored with? Who in your life did you deem useless and walk away from and say, I don't need that person anymore? You might say, Pastor, but they deserved it. Pastor, man, they were a bad person. Yeah, but weren't you a bad person in God's eyes? Didn't God forgive your sins? Shouldn't you forgive somebody else's sins? Now, I'm not saying restoration means you become buddy-buddy with them because the Bible says that if they're still not saved, that you can't be unequally yoked with them. So I'm not saying go back to that abusive jerk boyfriend and say, let's get together. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you can restore something. You can forgive them. You can let them know we may not be able to be friends, but I still love you. And then there's other people in this church that you might have left behind some good people. You might have left behind a ministry opportunity. You might have left behind an opportunity to serve the Lord with a group of people, and you've offended other Christians. And I know as perfect as Metro Praise is, I know from time to time there's just a little imperfection that slips in every now and then called offense and bitterness. And if you're not careful, you can cut off relationships, cut off friendships that Jesus intended to be in your life. You thought it was useless, but God said, you know, you need that relationship. Is anybody hearing me this morning? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Everybody say restoration. You see, I believe that relationships should be different now that we're Christians. I don't believe we just cut off people and treat them bad. I believe if there's a time to even disfellowship that we do it based on the word, but we always do it in hopes of restoration. Every person that we've had to do a Matthew 18 in this church and tell them you're not welcome here when you're living in sin, we've always told them when you're done with your sin, you can come back. You're welcome to come back when you're done living in adultery. When you're done gossiping, you're welcome to come back. But yes, we do put people out of this church. We don't play. You might say that's why some empty seats are here today. That might be it too. Amen. Or it might just be some people are lazy going to hell and don't care enough about God to get up in the morning. We're going to have church without them anyway. Amen. But sure, from time to time, people get offended. They get offended with me. They'll get offended with you. But we don't have permission to cut them off and call them useless. If you're with me in Luke chapter 17, somebody say I'm there. Let me build a case for that useless person in your life. Let me start off with who you were. Luke chapter 17, verse 3, tells the story of the prodigal son. Or rather, Luke 15. I'll get to Luke 17 in just a moment. Start in Luke 15. Luke 15, and I'm not going to read the entire story of the prodigal son, but I want you to notice something that so many times in reading this, we forget. Look at verse 22. You know it. He took his father's inheritance. He squandered it. He lived with the pig. And then he said, I'm going to get up and change my life. Somebody say, don't live with the pigs no more. Because you stink. Uh Uh-oh, come on. Don't live with the pigs. Now look at this right here. Verse 22. The father said, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Shouldn't that just be the end of the story right here? 
There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. Come on. I said there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. You see, right here, the party should just be getting going on. They should be loving Jesus. Hallelujah. Lift your hands in the sanctuary. I mean, they're just getting that. It should stop right here. So they began to celebrate. Praise God. Prodigal sons home. We're happy, Papa. Let's celebrate. But now look what happens. Verse 25, like a soap opera drama. You can see it starting to steam up here. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he brought him back safe and sound. He's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What a liar he was. Never. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. How many love the little drama up here? Amen. Trying to help you out. I could do the audio Bible thing, you know, audio Bible by Joe Rostick. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and alive again. He was lost and he was found. Somebody say the other brother. You see, the other brother had an attitude without gratitude when lives got changed. You ever told somebody, go to hell? Come on, you weren't born saved. I know some of you used to tell somebody, go to hell. Did you really understand what you were saying? Do you understand that in our anger, we could cut people off, we could get mad in traffic and tell somebody to go to hell, and we're telling them to go to the place of deepest, darkest torment forever and forever and ever. Listen to me. If you could taste hell for a second, you wouldn't even want your worst enemy to go there. Yet we get so angry and so flippant with people that we can say, go to hell. And if you're so sanctified, you say, I haven't said it. You know in your heart, you have thought about people. I don't want anything to do with them. They're not going to have any place in my life. And whatever happens to them, I don't care about. Come on. You know everybody here has thought that a time or two. And if you're saved and sanctified and you're not thinking that way, God bless you. But you better remember, it can come right back into your heart. Because there's been times I've been delivered from bitterness. But then there's been other times that people offend me. And I can feel that same spirit of bitterness rising up in me, even towards other pastors that I know. Hello. And I know if it can happen to me, it can happen to you, brother. I know it can happen to you, sister. So hear these words today. You need to learn how to believe in restoration. You need to learn how to celebrate other people, even your enemies, getting right with God. So who's offended you? Who's bothered you? You see, if I went down this road right now and I say, who in your life kind of just gets on your nerves? Somebody would say, man, my sister... My family member, my best friend, since I became a Christian, she cusses me out now in school. My neighbors, 
We could all go down here and say, who just gets under your skin? Who causes you problems? Who would you just say right now? If you could, if you could push the button and just have them be tormented right now, maybe not too bad, just a little bit, you know, slap a little bit. If you could just push that button, you would just push it right now. Just torture them a little bit, God. Mess with them a little bit. Have them lose their job. Give it back to them. Listen to me. That thinking is devilish. And it comes from the flesh. And you will justify it. And you will say in your heart, man, I don't need anything to do with them. And let me warn every person here, because trust me, I have been there. The longer you've been saved, the more you will spiritualize it. And you'll think you're okay. But you're no different than the one cussing out the other person on the corner. Because you'll just begin to talk bad about them in a spiritual way. Oh, pray for so-and-so. Oh, really? Why do we need to pray? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let me just tell you why we need to pray. We need to pray because they got an attitude and they don't come to church and you see what they wear and they're doing all of this stuff and they really don't love the Lord and I hate, I hate them talk about pastor all the time. So I just want to say that. Pray for them. We get so spiritual. 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 And we get so spiritual that, that when we don't see them and, and we don't, we're not around them, we act as if they don't even exist. And then we see them. There's so much awkwardness. Some of you remember there was a person who left our church and, and they left in the wrong way and then we went to a restaurant and they were sitting right there and I had no idea that they were sitting there and I came into the restaurant and I'm just all laughing and giggling and I'm just giggling and like the entire place is quiet. There's one group of people sitting here quiet. It's like... And there's like one group of people here quiet and I just walk in Greet the person that everybody's scared of. Tell them I love them. Sit down and start talking really loud. And people are like, that's weird. You know why it's weird? It's because some people in their heart hadn't understood how to rebuke, how to, you know, maybe not be a close friend, but still love and restore. It doesn't mean you sit down with them because this person did some bad things. It doesn't mean you sit down with them and just say, teach me the ways of God. I just want to learn from you. No, but you can say hi. You can shake their hand. You can say, we love you. We're praying for you. We're believing God's best for you. Come on, you ever been at a family reunion? And you just see Cousin Flacco or that one cousin or that one aunt. For me, it's the aunt. Lord, help me. Or you see that one person and you're just like, Lord, I'm just going to sit over here. Eat my turkey. Praise the Lord. And, and, and like the first thing they say, like, how you doing? Fine. <laughs> I'm okay. Whew, that was cool. No fight. No fight. We're really good. How's the family? Fine. Good. Good. No problem. You know, because you can't look them in the eye and you really can't tell them really what's going on because you know they've hurt you before. How many know what I'm talking about? But there's a time to restore. And I'm not saying every person needs to be restored the same way at the same time. I'm just saying don't be the other brother that doesn't rejoice in God doing things in their life. And don't be the one walking around in bitterness because you will miss the party. You know, God can be moving on those people's lives right now. God can be touching the worst of the worst. The people that we think are just the worst of the worst. God can be doing things in their lives. And I remember one time I heard about a backslider that I had pastored. They left the Lord. They, they went away from God. And they went back to another ministry. That wasn't our ministry. And they got saved. I was so excited for them. You know why? Because I didn't take it personal. I said, you know what, maybe they don't come to this church, maybe they don't come to my house, but they're serving God doing the best they know how. Amen? Amen. Now turn with me to Luke 17. Somebody say restoration. restoration. Now that I've given you some extreme examples, let me give you some 
day-to-day practical examples of how you can keep relationships and not lose them even if people do you wrong. Look at Luke 17. Start in just verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, These things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. Now, the same thought. Here he goes. If your brother sins, tell him that you love him, you love him, you love him. Is that what it says? When your brother sins, tell him John 3.16 a hundred times. For God so loves you. He loves you. Is that what it says? When your brother sins, tell them about grace over and over and over again. There's so much grace for you. You can be forgiven. You can just do what you want. I love you. Jesus loves you. Just grace. It's all over the place. It's so much grace. It's greasy, grace, and sloppy agape. Hello? Is that what it says? Help me out, somebody, because last time I read the Bible, it says, if your brother sins what? Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Praise God when you get rebuked. Amen? Learn to be a Christian that takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Shame on you when you're getting rebuked by your leader. I don't know if they love me. We love you. That's why we're rebuking you. Hello, somebody. If we, come on, let's just use an example we can all understand. If my baby come in here right now, Bethany came in here, snot all over her nose, poop all in her pants, dirty shirt all in, would the first thing you would say to yourself, oh, Pastor loves you, baby. Oh, Dita, look how cute she is. Pastor really loves her. Would that be your idea? No, but guess what? I got to pick her up, put her on the table. And sometimes when we change her diaper, she cries. She doesn't like it, all right? And then when we see the boogers coming down, she cries. She doesn't like it. We got to get those boogers out. Are you all listening to me? And there's times when she does things that we got to just pinch her little chubby, cute little arm and say, don't do that as a little child. You know why? Because we love her. And when people come to the church all snotty in attitude, all backslidden and hard smelling like poopy, we're going to rebuke you and tell you to clean your act up. Why? Not because we hate you, but because we love you. Somebody say we love you. So when people offend you, just rebuke them. You say, Pastor, that's biblical. It says right here, rebuke them. You were talking about me. Why, why are you talking about me? The Bible says don't do that. Don't go talk about them, about them talking about you. Did you all just catch that? Somebody gossips about you and you're going to your friend. Man, they gossip about me and I just hate it when they gossip because they're such a gossiper. Well, what do you think you're doing? You're gossiping about how they're gossiping. Well, they just make me so mad. Well, you know what? People will make you mad in life. People will make you upset in life. It's what you do that makes you a different person from the world to a Christian. Man, this church is so quiet today. You all saved? Is anybody sanctified? Is anybody filled with the Holy Ghost? Man, I just want to be amen. Maybe it was because I preached on the west side last uh, Sunday and I got shouted down till I just fell out in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Man, don't be quiet on me. Listen to what the Bible says. If he sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Verse 4, if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now look what the apostle said. Oh, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) So y'all need to get the context of that right there. That's exactly what they said. Oh, Lord, what are you talking about? Oh, man, I've got to forgive that person way more than seven times seven. 
Come on. You know how you avoid the conflicts? The Bible says you overlook an offense. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it's your glory to overlook an offense. So let's say somebody comes into your life. They say something they shouldn't have said. They offend you. You just overlook it and you say, you know what, brother, sister, I forgive you. I ain't going to bring it up. Then let's say there's somebody else that offends you, but you know you've got to bring it up. You know how you come in your heart? With already forgiveness. That's how you rebuke. You don't come rebuking out of anger. You come rebuking with forgiveness already in your heart. You come to him and say, you know what? I heard that you said this about me. And it hurt me. And I want our friendship to be restored. So I want to know, are you going to say you're wrong for this? Or explain to me if I misunderstood what happened? And if they say, no, I did what you said. You look back them in the eye and you say, you know what? I want you to correct that if we're going to be good friends. If we're going to keep growing in friendship, I want to ask you to correct that. Can you change that? Because I don't like you talking about me. You're saying, Pastor, can this happen? I do this every day with people in this church. All the, that's the only way to do it, people. You look them in the eye and you say, I, you know, we're not going to be close if you keep doing that. And I don't respect your behavior. You see, you can do that, people. That's a rebuke. And then if that friend looks at you and says, you know what? I feel bad now that you're telling me that. I should know better than that. Forgive me. You know what you do? You forgive them. Life is good. You go on and enjoy life. You see, church, we don't want to have separated relationships because of our anger and bitterness. And then just a little side note, as we were talking about people who have left this church, you know the people we've left this church? We had three meetings with them according to Matthew 18. The first time we went to them individually and said, hey, you know what? We're seeing that you're having sex outside of marriage. This is not the right thing to do. Are you willing to correct this behavior? And they would basically say, no, I'm not willing to correct it. Okay, well, we're going to get a couple more people and sit down and talk with you. If it's a lady, we'll get one of our wives to sit down. Do you understand having sex outside of marriage is sinful? Oh, yeah, I understand that. Do you understand that by you doing that, you're going to hell? Um, you know, I don't know. I think God kind of loves me. You know, he's kind of gracious with me. Okay. And then they come to me, the pastor. Pastor, we need to talk to him. And I've sat down with them, even with their parents there when they were young people, with the husband and wife. It doesn't matter who they are. And we sit down and talk to them and say, now listen to us. We've explained to you from the Bible your behavior is wrong. You are sinning and you're willfully doing it and you don't want to change. We've rebuked you. We've done it with the others. You don't want to listen. Now we're asking you either to change or to leave our church. Well, where's God's grace? I'm just so weak. And sometimes it's just so hard. And then, you know, I need to be in this relationship. And I say, what is it? Y'all giving each other sexual healing? Sexual healing? Like, like you can't live without it. Like that's my medication. I have to fornicate. Oh, I feel so much better now. I can live sexual healing. I say, is that what you need? Is that, is that what life is for you? It's okay to smile in church, people. It's okay. Yeah, I'll just, I think I'm preaching to another congregation. Where's my congregation? They would have found that funny. And then they say, you know what? We're not doing that. We say, later, go to Matthew 18. But you know how we did it? We did it in love. Somebody say they're there if you're in Matthew 18. I'm waiting for you. Come on, Matthew 18. Look at what Matthew 18 says. Starting. I'm Luke 18, that's why I can't find it. Matthew 18, when you're there, say, I'm there. Thank you. Matthew 18, 
Starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. That's a rebuke. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. So you say, Pastor, that's harsh. That, that's not easy. No, it's not easy. But that's the only time you have permission to walk away from somebody. But guess what? There's a time when they can come back to you and say, Hey, I'm sorry. You know what you do? You forgive them and you restore them. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Somebody say restoration. So how do you avoid having those issues you rebuke? Those who are being rebuked, you repent. Those who are rebuking, forgive. And you live a happy life. And if somebody like an omniscient stole some money from you, went away, and they get saved, welcome them back and tell them that you love them. Amen? Amen. That's why we're never angry to see backsliders come back. We're always excited. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you all want to restore each other in this church, yes or no? Well, then come on, forgive each other. When you're in sin, rebuke each other. And then move on and carry each other's burdens. We never said to the fornicator, hey, if you can't stop and you need help, we're still going to kick you out. No, if you need help, we're going to help you. Then meet with our discipleship pastor. Meet with, you know, get in a discipleship relationship with Carrasco. Meet with, you know, Adolfo. If you want to really work this out, somebody will be here to carry your burden. But if you want to willfully sin, you want to willfully just stick up your chin and snap your fingers, put your hand on your hip or however you do it, then you've got to get your roll on. Amen? And we'll get ten in your place, praise God. Because God ain't going to bless your mess. Somebody stand with me right now if you're believing to say amen. Stand to your feet. Come on. And look at Matthew 18 in closing. A parable that I'll never forget. The first time I read it, it put the fear of God in me. Rachel, would you come please? Matthew 18, verse 21. Right after them being told, the disciples by Jesus, that they were going to have to treat people like pagans and tax collectors, if they didn't repent of their sin. Jesus wanted to make sure he told a story that they would all understand. So right after that part about the forgiveness comes verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Come on, Jesus, make it easy on me. Now I'm going to count them down. That's two. That's two for you. Almost there, bro. Come on, just one more time. Goodbye. No. He's trying to get off the hook. Up to seven times, Jesus. Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And that's just the Greek way of saying infinite. They're saying infinite there. They understood what they were saying. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A king. He's going to tell a story. Who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Many scholars, and I've studied this, believe that this is around a million dollars. A million dollars. This is a businessman. He owed somebody a million dollars. And some of you have met people like that who have been in debt that much. A million dollars. Come on. 
Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. Some cultures, if you couldn't pay debt, you were sold into slavery. Others had debtor's jail. You would go to jail. The Middle Eastern culture would do one or the other. They would sell you as slaves to pay off your own debts, or they would put you in jail. And you'll see that here at the end, what happens. But this is very real. This is not a game. This is not like make-believe. This is real. You don't owe the money. Your whole family's going into slavery. There wasn't called 1-800-FUND-BANKRUPTCY, the guy you see on the infomercial. Bankruptcies never were so easy. Chapter 24, call me. Okay, listen. You got in debt then, you're going down. Your children are going down. I say that so you'll understand verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Could you imagine that? A million dollar debt. You're on your knees weeping, man. You're about ready to lose your family. You're about ready to lose your children. You are on your knees weeping. And the man looked at him in such pity. He said, man, I forgive you. Okay, it's like that. Okay, I'll forgive you. You owe me nothing. Just do better in business, you know. Now look, verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. You notice one was talents and one was denarii. You know what denarii was? Pennies. He basically owed him about a dollar. Not even five dollars. About a dollar. It's like pesos. You understand? Like rupees in India. This, this is nothing. Forty-two rupees is a dollar. A hundred denarii. A dollar. He found his friend. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. He had a legal right for that dollar. You owe me a dollar. And I'm putting you in prison. I'll sue. That's what he was saying. I'm taking you down. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I want to challenge you with those words today. You can live your whole Christian life. Listen to me. Everybody look up at me, please, in closing. You can live your whole Christian life and miss it right here. This is probably one of the scariest verses you'll ever read. People have read the verse that Jesus says unto me, uh, says unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. Listen to me, this is scarier than that. 
Take, for example, my life. I can be living my life. Man, I'm a pastor, baby. I'm going to Pakistan, going to India, apostle to nations. I can be a 50-year-old man. I love my wife. I got our dozen children. We have a thousand churches. Are you listening to me? And one person can be in our church. Say, I don't want to be a metro praise anymore. I'm leaving and I'm taking these people with me. Split our church. Happens all the time. We're ten people. We're going to start our own church. And I can let just a little of that unforgiveness start to come in my heart. Where God forgave me as a sinner, owing Him everything on drugs and adultery, fornication, violence, God forgave me. And at the latter end of my life, I can say, I won't forgive Him. What they did to me. I demand it back. I've seen pastors become bitter, my friend. And I could lose it all. It all. I could stand before God. And I'm thinking God is going to say, Well done. You've planted these churches. Look at how big the congregation is. Look at how many lives you've changed. And God could look right at me. Hey! You remember this? I don't forgive you. But Lord... Come on, you got blood. You died for me. The cross, I sang about it. I preached about it. I loved you. The cross, no, 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 no. You didn't forgive. I don't forgive. Angels, take him away to be tormented for eternity. Don't let that happen to you. I don't care what people do to you in life. Because in a few moments, we're going to get some of that junk out. You might have been seriously hurt. Some of you might have been molested. You might have been abused by a husband. And I'm going to tell you in just a few moments, you come up here and you get God to heal your pain. But while you're up here, you better be ready to forgive even the worst person. Because if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. And I'm not saying forgiveness gives permission. They will go to hell if they don't repent of abuse, of the pain they cause you. But listen to this preacher well. The devil will make you think your bitterness is justified because of the pain. But God is saying to you, you were a sinner and I died for you. You have to forgive them. Nothing you have done other than forgiveness will count in God's eyes. You could go to church. You could pray. But if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's the first group we're going to pray for, so get ready. The second group is everybody here that's like me. You're standing here. You're saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. I want you to check your heart and see if you're really okay. Have you forgiven everybody that's offended you? And if there's anybody in this church that's offended you, I want you to go to them. And I want you to say, forgive me for not bringing it to you sooner. But I need your forgiveness right now because I've held a grudge against you. You might say, Pastor, well, should I rebuke them now and try to correct them? No, it's too late. You've already held on to it too long. You need to now ask them for forgiveness because you let something get in the way of that relationship. And get restored. And then lastly, we're going to pray that Metro Praise calls back all those backsliders that I was talking about in our service. And that we see them come back because, listen to me, this pastor wants them back home. And there will be a Holy Ghost party. And we won't act like, well, you know, they're just getting saved. Well, well, good for them. 
No, we're going to get excited when we see Tarzan come back. We're going to get excited when we see the Cologne family come back. We're going to get excited when we see the Torres family, the Pinto family. We're going to get excited when we see Michelle and Amanda and Josh and some of those youth come back. We're going to get excited when we see Hillary and your sister come back in Jesus' name. Come on. We're going to get excited because we haven't kicked them out without helping them or loving them. We just asked them to get right with God and we're standing on righteousness and we want to see them come back. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I pray for right now those that are hurting their heart would be able to find a place up here to pray and find some healing. Get my elders up here right now. Come on. Because if you're in this place right now and somebody hurts you in life and you know it hurts, listen to me. It wasn't your fault. It was abuse. It was malicious. It was painful. I want you to hear me today. God will heal you. You need to come from your seat right now. Just begin to come right now. Congregation, pray that broken hearts will be healed in this place. Come on, don't let the devil have you hide it. Come on, come on.